You are listening to CubeCast, the design ops podcast for design experts and leaders. Hi, everyone. Uh, today, I'm very excited uh, uh, to uh, speak to Anil Joshi, who is a very well-known uh, HCI professional in the country. He's been an academician. He's currently the uh, head of department at IIT, um, uh, IIT Mumbai's uh, Industrial Design Center, the School of Design founder member of HCI Professors Association of India, one of the foremost organization that conducts uh, several activities, which includes uh, annual conference. Very happy, Anil, to have you here. Uh, so thank you for joining us on this fifth episode. And we, we look forward to talking to uh, several design leaders, design professionals, design academicians like yourself to kind of speak on various topics that, that concern, uh, concern us. I know you, you've been very busy recently. You've become a, a head of the department. So it's a busy time. Um, so I really appreciate uh, you spending us uh, some time with us. Thanks. Yeah, and thank you. thank you for doing this series of podcasts. It's very uh, nice uh, to have conversations. So it can to you know utilize uh, the available resources to kind of spread them, spread awareness about them, and so on. So thank you very much. No, I mean, uh, and I think the topic that we are speaking is very close to your heart. Of course, yeah. uh, you you spent a lot of your time researching on this topic, on how you can bring uh, software engineering practices and HCI activities closer to each other. So we can fit your. PhD thesis was on the, on the topic. Uh, so one of the first questions that I had was being an academic academician, you spend a lot of time in the teaching fraternity. What sort of prompted you to look at how can software engineering and HCI come together to achieve some usability goals? So what, what does that trigger? What does that prompted you to kind of look at this area? Right. So uh, I started teaching in the industry before I joined teaching uh, full-time in academics. So I've been teaching uh, my first course that I taught, uh, even formally, was in 1994, I think. So it's been like almost, uh, what, 30 years? Uh, closing down 30, 28 years now that I've been teaching. Uh, and uh, uh, figuring out how to kind of uh, externalize the design knowledge that I am gaining over time. At the same time, I also started reading uh, extensively about how others have articulated about design process, design methods, and so on. So, uh, and this is, I'm talking about very early in my career, like uh, from 1992, almost like as soon as I started working in the industry, I started also reading and teaching. So I started, so it's been kind of uh, that kind of a journey. And then there came a time when I realized that uh, uh, a lot of problems in the industry uh, that a lot of industry professionals were facing were not only about doing what they're doing, but integrating what they were doing with uh, what others were doing alongside them. And uh, since I worked in the space of interaction design, HCI and so on. So uh, a lot of uh, practitioners in the field uh, faced uh, the difficulty in actually implementing stuff that uh, they were working on. Uh, so that was my primary motivation, actually. How do we you know, integrate uh, design activities, HCI activities, whatever you call it, uh, with uh, the software development activities. So that is how I started. And then I I, re I got in one, and then one thing led to another in that process. Basically. When I started on my PhD journey, uh, I thought that this was a very interesting topic to, to select. So this was in fact part of my PhD. Then. I took it up as a part of PhD research. 
And uh, uh, with that objective also, I did not do my PhD then from uh, in IDC School of Design. I actually chose to do my PhD in the Computer Science Department of IIT Bombay. Okay. So, so I'm a PhD from Computer Science in IIT Bombay. Okay. So I had to actually learn quite a bit about software engineering before I could do this. That was the other part of it, which was fun. So one of the questions that I had is that what are the hypothesis that you wanted to, that you sort of set off with? What are you trying to validate? And what what did you anticipate uh, the impact that it will have on the whole uh, design software engineering um, uh, collaboration or integration? So what what is what is that core hypothesis that that you that you started with, and what were you trying to validate? Right. So, so uh, like most PhDs, you know, I had multiple hypotheses and I had multiple uh, contributions at the end of it. But the primary, uh, uh, the primary aim was to show that if you uh, if you uh, are able to integrate all the design activities that we mentioned in uh, the software process development, then uh, it has a big impact on several things. Uh, uh, but the thing that I eventually measured was uh, we created a metric called usability goal achievement metric. Mm -hmm. So it's the UGAM for short, U-G-A-M for short. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we created a, a created a metric and then we uh, evaluated a bunch of projects. So the primary hypothesis was the, the closer you are to the process that I was suggesting, uh, the better is your usability goal achievement. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, yeah, so, but I had to also create a bunch of other things before I could do this. So, um, one of the things that, uh, yeah, I mean, I can talk about it later on, but oh, if you want, or we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead, sorry. I mean, maybe you can. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so one of the things that I, I mean, that I started, uh, uh, so, so I, I, I just actually take you through my PhD journey. Mm -hmm. So in the first uh, couple of years, actually, uh, I thought I won't take very long time for doing my PhD. I thought I'll just be done in a couple of years yes. because uh, uh, I, I really looked at, originally I looked at my PhD as a method to articulate the knowledge that I already created. And a lot of PhD students I see still make that mistake. Okay, so from that point of view also, it's a useful thing uh, to talk about. Uh, and I, I made the same mistake. I thought that it, I had to just write down what I already knew. Okay, articulate what I already knew. So I, I actually spent the first couple of years, you know, articulating all the stuff that I, I, I was already involved in. I mean, I was teaching all this. I've been teaching all this stuff for about 15 years before that, 12, 13 years before that. So I kind of wrote it down, refined my writing and so on. And then I came to a level where I thought that, okay, we are now, uh, we are good enough with this. Then I presented it to my research progress committee and they said, okay, this is all good, but how can you prove this? Okay, so they identified three or four things that we wanted me to prove. Mm -hmm. uh, then I said, okay, now how the hell do I prove it? Then I had to create two more things. Uh, we created two, we created a process metric okay. and we created a product metric. Okay, so the process metric measures how close are you to a given process. Okay. And the product metric measures how well have you achieved your usability goals. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I created these two metrics. I validated those metrics first separately. Okay. Uh, and then I said, okay, now I have to just collect data on these metrics. And I started doing that 
I realized that people are not able to set usability goals the way I wanted them to set, as clearly as I needed them to set. Okay. Yeah. So then I had to create another tool called usability goal setting tool. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they could actually, so and with fair amount of, and I actually taught people how to use that tool. Set the goals. Yeah. Ha, set the goals. So that's that's the process that I followed basically. So ultimately, I ended up. So this that's what I ended up basically. So figuring figuring out whether these two big metrics are correlated, the process and the product are they correlated basically. So Anit, I, I looked through uh, your uh, your research um, and it's sort of good to look at it. But uh, I could never, I mean, was this tool, uh, usability setting, uh, goal setting tool that you built, uh, was this sort of a, available for public consumption? I mean, I, I don't know if that's there, but that would be a, like a very interesting thing for a lot of our audience to see if, you know, that tool is still available for people to kind of look at it and try and in their small little ways and their small little organizations or maybe big organizations, they can use it to, for goal setting. I mean, is that is that tool publicly available on some public URL? Yes, it is available on my website. Uh, people can download it. Uh, I created this tool originally it kind of i created this tool originally in 2009 i think i believe and then uh, i it went through two three iterations when i created it to begin with okay. and then subsequently i also got it uh, uh, updated a couple of times so the most recent update i think was in 2019 or 18 because things changed terminology changed old examples old website examples became become became a little related so i actually added that I think it's time now, post-pandemic, to do some one more update. So probably I'll do another one in a few years. But all of those uh, versions are available online, and people can definitely use them uh, yeah. for their own work. I have been using it in my teaching. So in fact, it helped me uh, uh, reduce some of the time that I spend that I used to spend teaching goals. So now I only give a high-level talk on goals, and then I ask people to use the tool. Uh, so in my own teaching. Uh, students use that and they they uh, only only two weeks ago I actually taught, taught it recently most recently so uh, so it's available it's on the website it's publicly available there's also a paper paper is from 2011 which describe again all papers are publicly available so uh, that paper describes how uh, uh, how how it describes the study in which the tool was used and what are the things that people often ignore when they are working in their projects. That paper also is based on uh, 65 projects from the Indian IT industry from that time. It's, it's from 2011, but it describes which are which were the goals that people ignored or, well, ignore is not the right word perhaps, but uh, people were not particularly conscious about when they were working on. We call them latent goals. So it even identify the set of latent goals that people should pay special attention to. That's that's great. Uh, one of the questions that I had, and and I did look through, um, you know, the work that you've been doing on on the on sort of those two um, uh, objectives, right? One is um, uh, achieving the usability goals, uh, and you've given a wonderful name called Ugam, which is kind of source of everything. Uh, and the second is about uh, index of integration. How do you, you describe the usefulness of these objectives to a business or a design leader? What, what would businesses achieve if they are able to use these two, uh, two objectives of Ugam and 
uh, integration index in their software engineering or in their uh, HCI processes. Right, right. So, uh, uh, so let me talk about them separately. Firstly, Ugam, uh, Ugam, as you called it, but you can you separately go that you went. So, uh, uh, is a is a um, uh, is a tool. It's a metric that allows us to uh, figure out how well is the team able to achieve uh, achieve any goals. And actually, I call it for usability goals because the examples I use are for usability goals, mm -hmm. but for any goals actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so, as I said uh, early on, in fact, I uh, in some of my early pilots, actually, I took this tool and I asked people to set goals. And what I was very surprised about was, uh, and, and I actually worked with. Uh, about five projects in, in, in that pilot where I asked people to uh, evaluate mm -hmm. uh, their own project that they have recently finished with respect to the environment tool. Uh, and in, as part of that evaluation, there are, I mean, first you have to set the goals, then you have to tell how well you did against those goals, and then you just calculate the metric. Okay. Uh, and the, and a lot of team members got stuck on the first step. And mind you, I had selected projects that were nearing completion. People who were about to deliver their projects and they could still not articulate clearly what the goals of their projects were. Uh, and so this was very surprising. But anyway, so uh, once people know how to articulate those goals and once people know how to uh, evaluate this metric, uh, what this enables a, an organization to do, a business to do, is to see how the uh, team as a whole has been doing over uh, maybe uh, over time or maybe uh, across methods that they use, across geographies, across domains, whatever. So it becomes a like-for-like -like comparison across projects, okay? You might be interested, for example, to find out over time, are we improving on that metric? Understood. Yeah. Across projects, right? Because many organizations work on several projects uh, from month to month, year to year. And uh, so in that sense, it becomes a tool to evaluate, to assess uh, the progress. Uh, let us say you do some experimentation, you follow a new process, or if you bring in a new set of tools or you change the way you are working, let's say uh, in the pandemic, a lot of teams started conducting remote duties. I mean, so many years we've been talking about remote duties. It was a default thing to do during the pandemic for a lot of organizations. Yes. Now, comparing, uh, uh, or or just remote work or flexible work, any intervention that you might do as an organization, as a management, as a as a team at a team level, uh, you might want to actually evaluate outcomes of that. So UGAM or UGAM is a is a metric that allows you to compare uh, the outcomes on a like to like basis because it's evaluating goal achievement. Okay. Similarly, index of integration. Index of integration, I believe, is as far as I know, actually, is only is a uh, it's a process metric. It's a process compliance metric. Okay. So yeah. what you are supposed to do in in this metric is you define your process in terms of steps. Uh, most organizations do this part pretty well, I believe. Uh, some organizations don't, but many organizations with mature design practices do do this pretty well. However, uh, they leave it at that. What they do not assess is how well are they going about. Let's say your process consists of six steps or eight steps. Uh, that is, and that are commonly used. Now, how are these eight steps? I call them activities actually. So how are these eight activities faring? How well are we able to do those activities? 
so you can calculate that and then uh, it tells you how compliant so although you define a theoretical process of sorts uh, you may not be actually following that process for a given project every time you may be following it on some occasions and not following it to some extent on some occasions so to what extent are you able to follow or not follow so that is what this does what it what i also did as part of my phd and what all organizations can easily do is to find out which of those activities have more impact okay so let us say uh, i mean if you typically say what a typical design process like we do user studies we do competitive product analysis we do some sort of goal setting yeah. we do ideation brainstorming blah blah we come up with some prototypes uh, we evaluate those prototypes for uh, some sort of goal achievement or usability or user experience whatever uh, we may make, make some fixes and then once we are happy with that uh, the product passes the test evaluations then we say okay we are good now we get, we can start the development now let us say this is your process now which of these seven eight activities are having the biggest impact on you gap okay so one can one can assess that thanks that's that's right i mean uh, you know at, i mean this is probably uh, we probably know but at cubits we are uh, we are sort of looking at this aspect very very carefully okay you're saying okay how well first of all how Uh, how do you set up your process and how well uh, you are adhering to the process uh, so that mm-hmm. you know you can uh, uh, there's a uh, <clears throat> um, there's a inherent benefit of ensuring that if you follow a process consistently and um uh, in a manner which 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 it should be uh, you can definitely expect a much much better product quality so the process quality will eventually determine the the product quality and that is that is the uh, sort of a, our primary hypothesis at uh, at cubits as well uh, so that's that's great arudha now i think one of the things um, i uh, uh, i i always have this and and you probably mentioned this is that you know do do you think that the business leaders and the design leaders have the maturity or have the understanding of you know how uh critical it is to set and and you you did talk about that even as when the project is ending but people are not very clear about the design goal so how, what 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 is what is that is missing or what is that sort of again uh, why why are designers not looking at uh, things in a very strategic manner and look at very very tactical things is uh, is there is there any um uh, uh any insights that you would like to share uh, with, with sure. So, so first of all, you know, uh, our field is so diverse and so complex that anything that we can say almost the opposite is also almost true. So, so I will not say that every designer is not able to do X, Y, or Z. I will never say that. But there's a whole bunch of people, and I would say that uh, in our field, people come from diverse backgrounds. People are self-taught. Uh, people come from uh, uh, there's all there's, there are different levels of experience now. Uh, after so many years we have very senior people we have very junior people and so on uh, so given all of the that diversity uh, some people really are able to do things very uh, very well and then of course there are some people who are more creative than other people so i mean all of that is always given yeah. so there's a lot of variation uh, in yeah. like in, like in any other profession like any profession like in any other profession so but particularly so so in the field of hci is particularly known to be in that sense diverse we get people very diverse 
people from computer science, we get people from design, we get people from writing, we get people from ergonomics, uh, and we get people from some other field, but they're just interested in this and then they kind of do a pretty good career. And so, so in that sense, it's particularly diverse. Okay. So, uh, and given that diversity, uh, this is particularly perhaps challenging. But anyway, so, uh, so what can they, so one of the things that I, I found in my study, okay. So what are the three most impactful things that people can do? Okay. So one thing that we have found has been very impactful is, is definitely user studies. And I think over the last 20 years or so, uh, the important, I mean, by and large, gradually the, uh, the industry has realized the importance of doing user studies. Okay. So before, I mean, so basically informing and getting a contextual knowledge before create, making design decisions. I think people have gotten that. Now, how to do it, what techniques to follow, who does it? These are things that probably people may debate a little bit about, but I think the importance of doing that has sunk in pretty well. Okay. Uh, so, so that, but that is still very impactful. Uh, second thing that I found that is impactful, which may be very obvious, is the main contribution that people do, which is uh, once you have created your prototype, once you have created a design, once you have created a prototype, getting it evaluated is very, very impactful. Okay, so the first, we can say the first round of evaluation, reasonably done, uh, as long as it is reasonably done, it is very, very impactful. Okay, it just irons out the claims settles all the problems down very, very early and, and you know, you're usually ready to go. But a third thing, which I actually coined a name because there is probably no, no name for it, is this. Now, let me actually first describe a situation and then give it a name. So usually what happens in typical uh, design organizations or, or typical uh, IT companies, technology companies, uh, is that, you know, companies are working on several projects at a time. And uh, and design still in India, but also I think worldwide, design is still a scarce resource. So design resource designers are rarely on the bench, as they call it. They rarely uh, sitting idle, right? So as soon as you end a project, there is another one waiting for you. So you jump on to that new project. Okay. And usually, a lot of design, if if design process is followed reasonably well. Design projects are in the front end part of the project usually. Even if even in uh, organizations that follow agile process models, yeah. design is front loaded in the in in those in the earlier cycles and then comes later. So so typically what happens is the design team starts uh, getting deployed to the next project as the project starts coming to the end over here and people get absorbed into other things very quickly. Uh, now that says good things about design, but then what happens is a lot of design decisions continue even after the design is so-called done, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, new new information emerges, new problems emerge. The problems may be technical, the problems may be related to usability, problems may be business rules, GST agaya, something else happens, pandemic broke out, you know, something or the other changes all the time. Yeah, I mean in dynamic world, so. Uh, very often later in the project, a designer is not available. As the design decisions are being implemented, when the design decisions are being implemented, designers are not, uh, not available or maybe their availability is very low at that time. 
So what I suggest, or so the term that I coined to describe this phase is what I call is development support. Like when the software development is going on, is the designer out there to support that development? And, and because there's a lot of careful thought that very often goes into making design decisions. And then when people go and implement it, something else gets implemented. Okay, so, so how do you minimize that gap? Or uh, I would say not even minimize, just minimize the gap, but when those changes happen there, how do you still make sure that those changes are still consistent with the original design, the original design language? So that part is actually quite crucial. And, and what I found that at least in my study that I did systematically, and it's a little old now, about 10, 11 years old, but even at that time, uh, this was visible that actually that has a very big impact on the final outcome. Okay. Yeah. So, right. So if people move on, for example, and sometimes people move on from one project to another, sometimes they move on from one city to another, yeah. uh, or maybe one country to another. And then when people move on, there is that much less support available. Yeah. So, yeah. so that these are three things that I think are quite crucial in any, uh, in, in success of any. Yeah. No, I, I think this is a very important thing. And I, I, I do believe that, you know, even today, I see many projects where, you know, once a designer moves on or uh, people move on, the entire context is lost. And then, um, you know, the rationale for taking a decision, you may miss out and you probably will end up taking some wrong decision. And I, I think that that happens even, even, as, we, even as, as of today. So very interesting insights. Um, um, I know that I think, Really, uh, it's a good takeaways for a lot of people uh, that must be listening to this podcast. Uh, now, slightly changing tracks, and you know, uh, because you've done some research on this, and I'm very curious to understand that um, you you've written about you know the cultural differences between the design and engineering professional. Uh, so I'm I'm curious to understand from uh, from from your study of you know how uh, similar they are or how different they are. Uh, well, that. I must say that study was even longer time. I think I think it's you know, even an older work that I had done. I, mean, I had conducted a study to find out how do people think differently. Uh, I'm sure things have changed now. I mean, it's like that part of the, it was actually even before my PhD, or maybe the early part of my PhD that I had done that study. Uh, and it was eventually, it was not part of my PhD in that sense. It was just a sort of a sense. It probably is worth repeating because a lot of things have changed. Uh, but what I find, what I found was that, uh, uh, and this is actually, I would say, uh, I mean, after I wrote that paper, this is something that I felt. There is all, there are not only differences between designers and engineers, so to say, I mean, that is a classic way of looking at it. But uh, uh, many of us designers also do a bit of coding, I mean, or at least dabble in a little of coding. So when the same person is, is thinking on like a designer and thinking like a developer, Mm -hmm. They think differently. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, and I've seen this in not just, I mean, I've, I've tried to learn from time to time. You know, I, le I was learning Python a few years ago because we needed to do some statistical analysis or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was learning Python uh, because Python was the only way and we had a deadline. So I said, okay, let me sit and learn this. And I ran, learned it, you know, weekend. And then I wrote a bit of code over there. And I kind of found myself thinking exactly in the same way that a typical uh, engineer would do, which is uh, you would think about how how can I write this code which is beautiful. Okay, okay So that is your baby at that moment. And your priorities, your, uh, you're looking at things like maintainability of code, you're looking at things like 
writing i mean so there is this thing called beautiful code that developers talk about and it's really beautiful when you look at it that way right yeah, but frankly poetry yeah i mean there is this this poetry in code definitely mm-hmm. so uh, and uh, uh, i i will definitely i not call myself a meaningful coder i mean i am still a hacker you know i get things done but i enjoy when i see somebody else's beautiful code okay and i, I really appreciate that however what what i uh, so so basically there is this very much implementation oriented maintenance oriented code ut oriented thinking that typical developers tend to do and typical i mean people tend to do when they are creating code but when they are designing things they are not thinking about how this thing will be created how this thing will be maintained they are thinking about solving real life problems of real life people and uh, so this just brings about a completely different uh, mentality in to the project right i mean that's what you bring to the project you see so in some sense uh the the engineers bring the internal validity of the of a product and designers bring the external validity of the product yeah yeah okay so does the product work in real life real life yeah yeah no i think that's a very very good definition that you know someone look at the internal validity someone look at the external validity and both are very very critical in fact both yeah. are complementary both are both need to Absolutely. work and i think there is different way of thinking uh, very complementary uh, um, in uh, in some sense uh, and both is required to make things think both are required absolutely yeah. yeah so that's that's really great uh, now uh, i mean i i i know you you travel quite a bit you you interact with uh, design leaders across the world um, uh, now i'm i'm curious to understand have you seen any any differences in the way let's say the indian design community has evolved or has positioned itself versus let's say how it has been done in other parts of the world I mean, if there if you if you if you have some thoughts on that would love to love to hear that mm. Mm. Uh, so i would actually i find uh, uh, interesting cultural differences in the so one of the things that i would say to begin with is actually this is more to do with indian education system rather than in indian designers and so I, was to, the, i was going to come to that you know whether it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah so you know the way so, we teach yeah right so in uh, several uh, in in several countries particularly in the us mm-hmm. there is a very interesting focus on what I, what is called as liberal arts okay or even liberal sciences or liberal engineering and so on. so which i where the focus is on liberating the individual from uh, from whatever they may be shackled down with and helping them overcome it is slightly different from you know the development oriented or the delivery oriented work that people tend to do so that is so so there is this liberating i mean education is supposed to be liberating yeah okay uh the if you look at europe it it works slightly differently i mean if european educational institutes work uh in i mean there there uh, there's a different way of looking at some of these uh, elements so compared to all of these then if you see uh, compared the indian education system then uh, has been very very disciplinary for a very long time and i would say that this is changing very very strongly in fact uh, now that i became head i have been actually charged with 
doing two things in IIT Bombay. Okay, for example, and so this is a big change that is happening within IIT Bombay. There is a program called Hazmed. Okay, so it's I you know since you asked me this question, I'm not prepared to answer it very well. So I might get it wrong, but it stands for things like humanities, social sciences, humanities, arts, social sciences, management, entrepreneurship, and design. I think I got it right. Uh, <laughs> So Hazmed, okay. So that's a program that is being rolled out. So, so Shashank, I think you also did engineering at the undergraduate level, right? So, uh, so most of us, and so, so did I, and most of us who did engineering at our undergraduate level typically had a few courses in humanities. Like we probably had economics or psychology or English or some social science, something. So we had some four or five courses in these areas, okay? Uh, so, so we have always had that also in IIT Bombay in our humanities and social sciences department. But now that basket has been increased to include all these other disciplines, including management, entrepreneurship, and design. So I, coming from the design school, I have been charged to deliver the deep component of this has made uh, program. And I was told that when this, I mean, uh, I have seen the report that when uh, when this program was proposed or was being developed, they conducted surveys amongst engineering students to ask, you know, which are the courses they would like to learn from. And turned out that design education was in fact one of the most popular demand among students. Okay, so we are actually anticipating that uh, the D part of it is going to be like, so if you did nice typography, then D is going to be the biggest in that, uh, in that and that is something well that is that is an exciting opportunity but as head for me right now it's also a concern because we have a comparatively a tiny department okay. and the 1400 engineering students who join BTEC programs in IIT Bombay every year so so that's our challenge but but it's a nice opportunity also to spread design awareness and design knowledge amongst uh, amongst engineering graduates but I would say that this has been and there's another program called LAES uh, L-A-E-S, I think, uh, Liberal Arts, Engineering and Sciences, oh. which is another similar program that is also taking shape in IIT Bombay. So these are two kind of parallel activities that IIT Bombay is doing, and I'm sure many other IITs are also trying to, and many other engineering colleges are also trying to do this. But all of these efforts are, I would say, relatively more recent. But if you see the bulk of the engineering workforce in the Indian uh, industry, they haven't been through this much of exposure to these so-called liberating uh, experiences. Experiences or experiences, yes. <laughs> right, right. So we are, so, and I therefore feel that in that sense, uh, so that is actually a difference, basically. Yeah, yes. So there is a lot of, a uh, lot of focus and a lot of emphasis, I feel, on mm -hmm. excelling in your discipline. Okay. In the Indian academia, and that carries on in the profession, okay. Uh, the the change that I feel is coming is the focus or the emphasis on excelling in your discipline to solve the problem that is outside. Okay, and that as I said earlier, also this internal validity and external or the internal view and the external view. So my my critique, I, in fact, as part of my PhD, I also did a critique of software engineering, and one of the points of critiques of software engineering. Is if you if you if you read any software engineering book, even today actually, uh, and if you see what are the problems that they are dealing with, and many of those problems are internal to software engineering. Like when you, if you read a design book, very often when people talk about 
problems that a designer needs to deal with they are problems which are external they are the societal problems they are the outside problems basically or they are they may be psychological problems or whatever but they are outside to design they are not design internal to design we don't that talk that much about internal problems perhaps but there are problems outside that we actually deal with quite a bit uh so that is the other cultural difference that i find and this grow this is more because of this inward look that uh, our engineering disciplines tend to have no i think you you put it very very well anirudh i think uh, having these uh, sort of uh, experiences that help you liberate from your prejudices your dogmas i think is very very critical for every discipline to know because that's when you look at societal problems very differently you look at environmental problems very differently you look at you know uh, ecological problems very differently so that i think that that uh, liberating uh, is experience is very important and it's, i'm glad to know about these programs at uh, iit mumbai particularly and other institutes that are that are running uh, so that's wonderful and uh, you know sort of as we come to the close uh, this thing i mean i have always had this uh, this uh, this question um, so what's what's next i mean i mean, i know you've been very very busy and you know of course you've taken up this whole thing of uh, leading the the iit mumbai um, the idc school of design this next uh, orbit and i know it's it's expanding you're adding more more but in terms of research in terms of you know uh what's what sort of coming coming for you uh, in in the next few years well uh so the good news is that our new building is almost ready so we are getting well we're getting some new space in idc so there is going to be a little bit of that uh, coming up shortly so we've been waiting for this for a very long time we have expanded a quite a bit in the same space so we are sort of literally bursting at our seams over the last 3 4 years uh so we are so Uh, i think many of you guys probably many of your viewers will probably know that uh idc started a bdesk program in 2015 and that has blown up fully now and uh i i in fact just yesterday i finished my course for the third year bdesk students it's always exciting to work with younger people uh then master students which is been our forte before this uh of course our phd program has also become full blown Uh, and uh, over the last uh, phd programs mature more slowly by the way than the undergraduate programs so our our phd program i would say also over the last 16 17 years that we've been around has also become mature that's mature uh, so now there is actually two new proposals on the table uh, we have not yet completely gotten all the approvals that we need for that to be able to discuss outside but i am going to just give a sneak peek into that the two two programs that we are now working on mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully we should be offered able to talk about them um, in concrete terms soon but the objectives of the programs i can definitely share one of them is called mdes by research okay mm-hmm. that's right uh, yeah so that program has sort of two objectives uh so as i said our phd program has become very mature but even uh, even today uh the phd program in design uh in idc but also in many other institutes in the country uh attracts many people who are senior oh that's a good thing you might say of course it is but when but uh so and we will hopefully continue to do that okay and it shows the pent up demand i mean there is this been this pent up demand that people have always wanted to do a phd and 
but they went into their jobs and did not get the opportunity and now they are at the first opportunity trying to come back come back yeah. that's really something that's fantastic and we've had some really very very senior people come and do their phd in idc and they continue to apply to us okay so that's like one uh, one aspect of it but we are also keen to um, attract younger people into their phd program and uh, given that industry does so well and pay i mean there are so few designers out there that uh, uh, industry kind of you know, pays a premium for good designers to come and work with them early in their careers so it's a little hard to it has been a little hard for us to attract a large number of young designers to phd program okay. uh, and also people are still it's a i mean design phd's are still relatively new so considering that we are actually proposing a mdes by research program uh, this is actually an mdes by research plus phd program so which means you join an mdes program for a two year program uh, and at the end of one and a half years if you feel that oh this sounds good i can continue this into a phd then you get a direct entry into a phd and so so as i said whether this will be approved or not i don't know but we are proposing it and hopefully it will get approved it really nice and i'm sure a lot of viewers would be very interested in something like that right right, right. so we are really looking forward to uh, if all all goes well we get all the approvals that we need we'll we'll start that program from july 2023 and the second one is a similar program called mdes by practice <laughs> okay that's nice okay so which is basically uh going to have much less coursework than what we have in our current mdes programs and much more practice component and what happens in the industry yeah. right but uh and then uh, the the expectation there is that uh uh students will come up with really fantastic ground breaking work in practice uh and the expectation there is that when you join that program you are already a very very accomplished designer so you do not need course work yeah to learn and again so this is under discussion and approval and so on so uh, whether it will happen now or next year is a little hard to say at this stage but these are two things that we are excited about no fantastic i mean both these programs are i mean i i see see i mean i, I talked to a lot of young designers uh, design professionals some of them uh, but so both the research aspect as well as the practice aspect and i i believe there'll be a lot of um, sort of mutual learning that will happen i think industry might bring in some influences uh, into the course work possibly and 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 the other way you know i can pick up something from the course work which i can apply it to the to my practice Uh, so i think they could be pretty so these are interesting models and i think the, it's good to see that these models are evolving and maybe we'll we'll probably have a another session which talks about uh, some of these uh, things that your experiments that you're trying to do in in the uh, in in uh, design education uh, it's a education um, so wonderful uh, anirudh uh, it was great uh, really <clears throat> um, i mean very deep insights that you have on how we can bring the whole hci and software engineering processes uh, uh, uh with, with some sort of a goal oriented approach uh, so wonderful talking to you about that um will i'll will probably pick up another this thing to talk about uh, design education per se i think there is that's a, again a topic of close interest but we'll pick that up some some other time but now for now thanks thank you very much and um, um have, good luck with uh, with uh, you know 
leading uh, leading IDC School of Design to its uh, next orbit. All the best and thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye. 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 Thank you.